Definitely celebrate those things. All right, so we are in a series called One Thing. Seven times in the Bible where the phrase one thing appears and the importance of those things. And today's part four is one thing to proclaim. One thing we are supposed to say. Uh, uh, one time I was, uh, when I was in youth ministry, I, uh, we were doing a service project. And I had a bunch of teenagers with me and we cleaned up a park and we took it to the city dump. Okay, a dump. You guys understand? A city dump. All right, and there was a guy working there, and we, we got there with our stuff for the dump, and he had a hat on that said, Jesus is Lord. And I, I remarked to him, I love your hat. And he responded and said, yes, sir, give God the glory. The guy works in a dump, and he was praising God. He had a story to tell, and he was telling that story regardless of where he was. If you all think your job is bad, you don't work in a dump. That guy was telling a story to every person that came to bring their garbage for the dump. And I thought to myself, if this guy can praise God in a city dump, there's really something to this guy. And guys, the main thing today is your story of what God has done for you is not yours to keep to yourself. It's God's story, not ours. He owns the story. It's his story, and it's not ours to keep to ourselves. I want to ask you to turn to John chapter 9, one of the coolest sections of scripture. I love this story, and I love getting to preach on it. John chapter 9, verse 1 through 25. I'm going to read the whole passage, and we're going to talk about it because it has tremendous relevance for us today. Uh, as he went along, meaning Jesus, he saw a, mind bl a man blind, a mind bland from birth. That's, that's me, a mind bland from birth. A, bl a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? He was born blind. Not anything else, but they wanted a theological discussion. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but what happened? this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Puts a... Very different turn on hard times, doesn't it? This, your hard times may have happened so that the work of God could be displayed in you, that he may gain the glory. All right? As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Which world means, which this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he, he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been, born, who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, hey, I guess he's a prophet. I don't know. He's a prophet, I guess. 
He didn't even know he was the son of God. All he knew was that he once was blind, but now he sees. They still had, did not believe he had been born blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he's born blind. How he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said he is of age, ask him. Second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. All right? Guys, this guy was not a theologian. He was not, you know, he didn't didn't know the scriptures and everything. All he knew was that he was blind, now he sees. That was his story, and he's sticking to it. Okay? See, the main thing, your story of what God has done for you is not yours to keep to yourself. It is to be proclaimed because it's not you. It's not your story. It's God's story about what he's doing in the world. Okay? Mark 5, 18 through 20. Uh, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, who had been healed, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell it into the capitalists, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. He didn't say, go preach a sermon. He goes, no, no, just go tell what God has done for you. That's, that's your job right now. You can't come with me because I got other work. You go back to your people, go back to your family, go back to your hometown, and just tell people what he's done for you. And the man went, and the people were amazed. See, guys, every one of us has a story that God has given us that belongs to God. We're going to talk about that. We're going to find out the key, how what we're supposed to do. The first part of your story is obedience. Everybody say obedience obedience okay see after saying this he spit on the ground made some mud with saliva and put on the man's eyes go he told him wash in the pool of Siloam so the man went and washed came home seeing now many of us don't have a story because we've never actually been obedient to God we've never taken that first step of obedience and people who come up to me well I don't really have a testimony my first question is have you ever actually done what God tells you to do you know, you don't have a testimony of your victory over sin because you still love your sin more than you love God. And you haven't put it away yet. God is calling you to repent, calling you to life change, calling you to surrender to him. And you just haven't done it yet. And so you, there's no story of God's victory in your life. You don't have a testimony of God healing your marriage because you continue to do the very things that, that destroy it. You haven't surrendered your marriage to God and done things his way. You haven't taken that first step of obedience you're in debt up to your eyeballs, maybe. You have no testimony about how God slays debt and brings financial peace because you're still, uh, you, you, you said no to signing for Financial Peace University or even sitting down with your pastor and coming up with a budget. God said, hey, Dave is a, is a financial peace uh, uh, coach. He's a, he's a certified coach. He can get you on a budget. You're like, nah, I'm good. And you're still up in, so you're still in debt. You won't do it. Now, what would have happened to this man if he, just, if he would have said, nah, I'm good, when Jesus said, go wash the pool of Siloam? What would have happened to that man? Nothing. I guess he'd walk around with mud on his eyes. <laughs> he'd be walking around, you know, but second, he would have just continued where he was, blind, wondering why God has forsaken him, 
Wondering why life sucks and then you die. Wondering why all this stuff, when all he had to do was take a simple step of obedience. And that's where so many Christians are today. That's why we don't feel like we have a story. That's why we don't see God working in our lives, because we haven't taken that first step of obedience. How many of us today know exactly what God wants us to do? It's not hard. I didn't, it's, not, it, it's not complicated. It's simple. I didn't say it was easy, because no change is ever easy, but it's simple. It's clear. And you're pretending that you don't know. You're pretending that God hasn't told you. Or you're pretending like you just need a little more information. Or you're pretending that you need to go talk to this person or this person when you know exactly what it is God wants you to do. Prefer the hell of a predictable, predictable situation to the joy of a new one where God wants you to be so you do nothing. Well, a person like that should not expect any big moves in God, of God in their lives. You won't take the first step of obedience. Now, why would we take a simple step of obedience towards God? Simple. Why would we do this? Why would we, why would we do what God says? Simple. This is why. Because we found out that God is better. Everybody say, God is better. God is better. Because we found that love for God is greater than our love for the things that destroy us. We found that his name and his waves have become so precious to us. His name is so amazing and so beautiful and so awesome that we can't fathom another second away from it. It's the beginning part of your story, looking around this world and saying God is better. Better than what? Yes. Doesn't matter what you say, God is better. That's the first part of your story. That's why we take a step of obedience to him, not because we're, we're afraid or out of fear. It's because our love for God is so profound and so, uh, is so passionate that we can't fathom any other way. That's, how, that's why we take the step of obedience. The second step, second part of your story, after obedience, that's the first step, okay, is change. In verses 8 through 10, his neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, he said. What, what, so what God had done in his life was visible to others. And believe me, when God works in your life, it's visible to others. It's visible to you. Okay? I was this way, and now I am this way. It is obvious. You cannot have God move powerfully in your life and be the same person you were before he moved. Okay? Otherwise, we have to change the lyrics to Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I am still lost. I once was blind, but now I'm blind. You know, when, when, when I was in college, I had a professor from, that, that, from Asbury Seminary. I never even heard of Asbury Seminary back then. But he came from Asbury Seminary to Center College to debate one of the atheistic professors. It was a great, a great, a huge, right, right there in front of the whole, all 900 Center College students. He was brilliant, this professor. He had brilliant arguments. He was a great debater. And to this day, he's not at Asbury anymore. But he is today is one of the preeminent uh, apolo apologetics people in the nation. He is absolutely genius. And he demolished um, the, the professor. The professor was unprepared. He, he was a victim of his own arrogance. Uh, he'd been in the center college culture where everybody agreed with him, so he was not that sharp. He'd gotten dull. And when uh, this professor from Asbury came in, uh, he just absolutely... Uh, he, he was destroyed. It, I felt bad for him, honestly, because his arguments were terrible, and, and this, uh, this professor from Asbury was just brilliant. But it wasn't his theological arguments that got us. 
It really wasn't. I, I don't remember really anything he said. I just remember he was great, but I, I don't remember any of the arguments that he made. But after thoroughly trouncing the professor, his closing statement, he said something like this. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, I want you all to know that I was once a very different person. And he, he moved off of the, the arguments and the intellectual side and, and became personal. He said, I, I used to be very different and my wife and I got married when we were in our 20s. Because I was so full of myself professionally. I, I, I was studying and I was going to be the world's pre, premier theologian. Um, and uh, I was so full of myself professionally, I was awful to my wife. I was absolutely awful. I belittled her and talked down to her because I didn't feel like she was equal to me. I condescended to her, treated her like an imbecile all the while studying theology and preaching. And he goes, I would sit there in my study, drinking myself into oblivion, all the while reading about Jesus and studying ancient manuscripts and concocting thesis after thesis after thesis, all the while railing against the people in my family. He said, I was awful. I became a monster. But God did what theological volumes and study could not. He changed me. He eliminated alcohol from my life. He turned my heart towards my wife and my children. I actually got down on my knees in front of them and repented for the monster that I was. And I asked my family's forgiveness. He said, when I think back to what a, what a, what a jerk I was to the people closest to me. He brings me to tears. He goes, this is not a thing of pride for me. He said, only Christ could have changed me. And for that, I give him all the glory. And I thought in that moment, it was silence. You could hear a pin drop there at Center College as this man shared that. And I thought in that moment, after hearing his brilliant arguments and quick responses during the debate, how he mastered this brilliant professor. I thought how terrible his mind must have been under the control of the enemy. And yet, God reclaimed it. And he, here he was giving God the glory. See, if people don't see change, then you are probably not walking with Christ. Maybe you're like that professor that have brilliant arguments or you, you've done all the right things, but you simply have not surrendered your life to Christ yet. Well, believe me, people see that, especially the people closest to you. So the first part of your story is obedience. I'm going to take the step of obedience. The second part is the change that God works in you. The third part is this, Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. All right, John 11, 9, 11 through 12, he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Well, I've heard plenty of testimonies in my time, some good, some bad. But uh, when I was in seminary, I got to play with a band called Fish Force at Ichthus. We got to be on the main stage playing. We were on the same stage as Petra. And I believe that the night before, Michael W. Smith had been there singing, friends are friends forever, at the, you, know, you know, that big 80s rock anthem. Anyway, right after we played, 
a guy walked out on stage and gave his testimony. I'll never forget this. He told of his wild ways as a teen, 20-something, involved in drugs and gangs. He told us how much money he made every day, how many women he slept with, how many fights he got in. I believe the exact phrase he said with his chest out, I did, more, I did enough drugs to kill an elephant. He told story after story of living life on the street, people he'd killed in drive-by shootings. And like the last three minutes, he said, oh yeah, and, and God changed me. Never mentioned Jesus. And I realized he wasn't really giving a testimony, you all. He was bragging on his sin and rebelliousness. His testimony wasn't about how great Jesus was. It was about how awful he was. And it came, he came across as almost how uh, proud of his sin he was. Let's just call it spiritual bragging. Is what it was. Listen, people, if your testimony is more about you than it is about Jesus, it's not a testimony. I'm not interested in how bad you were or how good you were. I want to hear about the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. I want to hear about his power in his mercy, in his love, in his grace. And if your story is not focused on that, it's not a testimony, it's spiritual bragging. This man here, in this story, what did he do? First thing he did was tell people that it was Jesus that did it. He didn't describe how awesome it was to see, what colors looked like. He, I mean, imagine all the things he could say. Having not seen for his entire life, and all of a sudden he can see, I didn't realize people were that ugly. You know, I, I, I didn't know what green was. I didn't know what red was. I didn't know what blue was. I didn't know what the sun looked like. I didn't know what, what the city looked like. I didn't know what a house looked like. He could have said all those things, but the first thing he said was, it was Jesus who did this, you all. Man, they called Jesus, made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I did. Here I am, praise God. Now that's a testimony. This is what Jesus has done for me. Remember how this passage started out, y'all. Remember how this started out? I saw a man who's blind, and they want to know who sinned. Isn't that, isn't that just like people? We don't see the person. We don't see the suffering. We just want to know what they did to get there. And I have to admit that I do that too. We don't see the person. But Jesus saw the person, and he cut through all the arguments. He said, neither this person nor his parents sinned. Neither. Neither of them. But this is what he said this happened so he could have a, it, it didn't say, this, didn't, it, this happened so he could have a really cool testimony and get on this Jerusalem speaking circuit. No, he didn't say that. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, what's about to happen is about God, not him. Never forget that if Jesus is not the center of your story, it is not a testimony. It's you. Okay? So the first part is obedience, a simple self-obedience. Second is change. Third is all glory goes to Jesus Christ. Fourth one, and this is my favorite part, don't get into theological arguments with people who would rather argue than celebrate. Man, listen to what happens next. In 13 through 25, they brought to the Pharisees a man who had been blind. On the day which Jesus made mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. The Pharisees didn't like it. They saw this man who was, who was blind, now he could see. And they had a problem with it because it didn't work with their theology. And then they call the parents in, and the parents, uh, you know, say, yeah, this is our son. We don't know what happened. 
Well, let's just unpack this, shall we? This is the part of the story where I get angry. See, it's okay when you read Scripture you get angry. I'm not angry at Scripture. I'm angry at these people. First of all, I want to know, what the heck is wrong with you all? What the heck is wrong with you people? Pharisees, first of all, let's, let's talk about you guys. What the heck is wrong with you all? You saw a miracle. You saw a guy who was blind, and now he can see, and the only thing you can do is call the guy who did it a sinner? What is wrong with you? Why can't you just be happy for the guy, for crying out loud? What is wrong with you? I understand you're not fair, you see. That's why you're called Pharisees. You know, but what is wrong with you? Why can't you celebrate? What kind of depraved mind goes straight to that instead of being happy for the guy? Second, parents. Okay, let me tell you, if it was my son who was blind and now can see, this is what I would have done. Pharisees summoned me. I'm like, sorry, guys. I don't have time for your theological debates. Maybe in a year or a decade, I'll sit down with a cup of coffee and figure out what went on. But right now, I don't have time for that. I've invited the whole neighborhood. I've invited the whole town. I've invited the whole church. And we're having a cookout. We're having a party. My son was blind. Now he can see. Praise God. That's what I'm doing. And maybe when I get done celebrating, I'll have some time for you. But that's what would happen if it was my son. You know, as a dad, you know that dad was thinking, all right, now my son can mow the grass. <laughs> Even better. Maybe now he'll turn off all the lights. Won't lean them on. See, uh, all the dads went right there. I guarantee you, all you dads went right there. But seriously, what's wrong with people? Why, why, how miserable a life do you have to have to see a miracle of God and then not celebrate it? What is wrong with us, y'all? We need to bring celebration back into our lives. We need to bring celebration back into the church. We need to bring celebration. We need to be primed to celebrate rather than to nitpick and find out what might be wrong or what might not go according to what our theology is, you all. How miserable those people must be, how joyless their lives must be to witness a miracle of God and get into a theological debate. I tell you what, y'all, when, when God moves... God heals a marriage, God delivers someone from addiction, God, uh, everything. Why don't we just celebrate it? Why is that? that needs to be our first thing. We'll figure out the theology later. Let's just celebrate, right? That's exactly what this passage is showing. Like the older brother in the prodigal son's story, who's just primed to find the wrong in every situation. Has your heart been so co corrupted, so, so diseased, that the only thing you can find in every situation is the negative? Is that appropriate for God's holy people? Is that the, the, the right response for people that God has saved and redeemed and assured of its place in heaven and he walks with us every day? Is that the appropriate response for people who, who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ? I think not. So many, it's, so many of us are this way. Don't get into a theological debate with people that would rather nitpick than celebrate. Okay, when God does something amazing, just tell your story. Just tell your story. So number five is just tell your story and let God be God. That's what this guy does. Why well, I love what this guy does. He, he, he just tells a story. John 9, 25 replied, whether he's a sin or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And you guys can do with that what you want. All I'm here to tell you is that 
Prior to today, I'd never seen anything. Now I can see. That's all I know. Go figure it out. You guys are theologians. I'm just telling this is what Jesus did. Okay? I'm not a theologian. I'm not a Pharisee. I'm not a, I'm not a, a teacher of the law. I don't know any. I've never even read scriptures. They didn't have Braille back then, y'all. Okay? I'd never even read scripture. I don't know the first thing about it. All I know is that yeah, I was blind. Now I see. And that's it. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. See, guys, the action and the work is up to God. The story is up to you. Just tell your story about what God has done in your life and let God be God. There may be people that don't like what you have to say. You know, there may be people that don't like your story. That's okay. I didn't ask for your help. I didn't ask for your approval. I'm just telling you what God did. Well, I don't like, I, I don't think that God healed you. Well, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just telling you what he did. I, I, know, I know myself. I know that, that I was going in this direction, and I know that in my own power, I, am not, I was not capable of moving in this direction. The only th- person that could have done that is God, and that's all I know. Take it and run with it. Just tell your story. Let God be God. You can tell people. I'm not a theologian. You can tell people that, yeah, I don't study Scripture as much as I should. Yeah, I, I don't know the Bible backwards and forwards. I don't know all these things. I don't know the big theological language. I don't know all of that. But I have found that God is better. And that's what I'm telling you. His ways are perfect. His name is beautiful. His grace is sufficient. His power is available. And that's what he has done in my life. Don't like it? That's okay. You don't have to like it. Pharisees didn't like it. So what? They don't have to like it. It's not their story. It's God's story. Right? You tell people this, listen, I'm not the attorney. I don't need to argue God's case for him. I'm a witness. Okay? The, the, the attorneys and the judge can figure that out. I'm just a witness. All I'm doing is telling you what I saw. And when we stop trying to be God's attorney and start being a witness, we do, we do a lot better, y'all. We really do. See, guys, my story, a lot of you know it, some of you don't. But when I was a senior in high school, that's when God reached me, okay? I was heading in the wrong direction, bad direction. Um, not, not a whole lot different than a lot of my classmates and everything. It was kind of the culture we were in. But it was a bad direction, certainly not one that would land me here. And God reached me. God called me. He approached me. And, and, and he, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. If any of y'all are sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's a great place to be because that's where God does his best work. Okay, he reached me and he said, listen, I I, want to show you a better way. I want you to leave your entire life behind. He called me that. He didn't say, we're just going to change a few things, going to make you nicer. No, no, no. He said, I want you to leave your entire life behind you, behind you. Get rid of it. Slay it. I want that old, dead, terrible, arrogant, selfish self gone and gone forever. I want it buried. All right. I want to toss it down to where the ocean gate Titan sub win. I want, that's where I want it, okay? And I want to explode it. That's what I want, okay? That's what I want with your old life. I don't want you ever picking it back up again. And now I'm going to come, I'm going to come into your life. I'm going to show you life to the full. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to save you. I'm going to cleanse you from sin. And I'm going to put you on a path of my purposes for you. Guys, I was not a theologian. I didn't know scripture. I did not know what God had in store for me. I didn't know any of that. All I knew was that God was better. And I'd had enough 
of everything else. That was it. There's no going back. And guys, God gave me that story. It's not my story. It's his story. It's his story of what he did in my life. It's, it's, it, his story has gone back since the beginning of time, and that was a small part of it. But it's not my story. It's God's story. And it's not mine to keep to myself. That's why I've told so many people about it. And your story of how God reached you, if you're a believer in Christ today, it is not your story to keep to yourself. It is to be shared so that God may gain glory in a world that rejects him. Okay? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you're not, I'm so glad you're here. This is where you need to be. But I'm asking you, what are you waiting for? I'm telling you, this world and, 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 and everything it has, it's got nothing. It is a dead end. Okay, it is nothing. It, it will bleed you dry. It will take everything you love and, and leave you high and dry. A lot of us know that, amen? Amen. But when you, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you take that step of obedience. You allow him to enter your life. You allow him to dictate your steps. You do things God's way. There's blessing and life and joy and peace. And I am a living testament to that. I'm a testimony to that. And I'm telling you, that is, your, that is what God will offer to you as well. I'm not special. There's nothing special about me. He simply did for me what he does for everyone else and has been doing for everyone else since the cross. Okay? You have a story. It's not yours. I want you to look around. Is there an empty seat next to you? Is there an empty seat next to you? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. There's a person in your life that needs your story, needs to hear your story, needs to hear what God has done in your life. You may think it's nothing. You may think that, oh, you know, I've, I've grown up in church all my life, I've been a Christian all my life, I don't really have a story. Yes, you do. Goodness, you've stayed faithful to Jesus for your entire life. Man, I'm more impressed with that than somebody who has a miraculous conversion. Man, somebody that has been stayed faithful to Jesus 30, 40, 50 years, that is a testimony. Because people don't stick to anything in our culture. And they look at you and they say, wait, well, you, you've been following Jesus for five decades? Four decades? Six decades? You've been doing that? Man, I can't even stick with a cell phone provider for more than five years. I can't even stick with a job. I can't even stick with friends. I can't, and and you've, been, you've been following Jesus for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 40 years? That's really something. Tell me more. There doesn't need to be an empty seat next to you. How many of you all believe that this world needs Jesus Christ? How many of you all believe that people are better off in a relationship with Jesus Christ? I do. And therefore, our story of what God has done for us needs to be told. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a Bible college, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to anything like that. Just simply tell the people in your life what Jesus has done. Tell them. Tell them. They'll listen. They may not like it. That's okay. They don't have to like it. It's your story. It's God's story. But let's, let's, get, in, let's, let's get a little more intentional about telling a world in rebellion against God the good things that he has done in the life of his followers. Okay, you have a story, but it's not yours. It's not yours to keep to yourself. It is for the benefit 
of the world. Remember what Jesus said? This happened so that the works of God may be displayed in his life. You have a story, not so that you can look great, but so that the work of God may be displayed in your life and people see it and give God the glory. That's why. God bless you. Go tell your story to a world that needs it. God bless.